Good morning, vendors and non-vendors alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, Matt, Dave, and Devendra accompany Mako and Asami as they unravel the dark conspiracy behind recent high sea hijackings and... What? What happened? Who am I? 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 That last part didn't have a whole lot of spirit, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, neither does Korra right now. Boom. That's true. Hello, welcome to Republic City Dispatch. Uh, this is Matt Patches joining once joined once again by my my colleagues, my esteemed colleagues, Devendra Hardwar. Hello, hello, <laughs> and uh, Dave Gonzalez. Hello, um, and guys, what what episode did we just watch? I can't even remember it. I'm so I'm so dazed. My memory is gone. Do you have amnesia? I'm, just, I'm just like I can't even remember anything. I feel like I woke up from a horrible, horrible dream. Horrible dream of plot contrivances. Oh, come now, come now. Dave, can you talk a little bit about what happened? What did we see this episode? Sure. So, Asami's shipment of mechs to the Southern Water Tribe is hijacked, and when Mako suspects it's the same people behind the bombing of the Cultural Center earlier, he plans a sting operation. But Lin isn't letting this rookie's ideas fly, so Asami and Mako use Varric's boat and members of the Triple Threat Triad gang to set up a sting. But it's the stingers who are stung when Mako learns it's a double cross they rush to future industries factory where asami learns that she's been robbed and then kisses mako side note unalak was in the world that's all we get to know about him but meanwhile bolin <laughs> as nuktuk is in a pop is a popular serial star now in propaganda films and is letting the stardom go to his head watching a scene with explosions on set mako learns that the MacGuffin of the entire first robert downey jr sherlock holmes film is a movie is a very exclusive and rushes to tell asami that he's too late and varick has already taken control of future industries Cora washes up on fire nation island with amnesia and it's time for an hour-long flashback episode special next week and and before we get too much into things, I wanted to remind people that we we desperately not desperately we would like people to jump on iTunes and um, subscribe to Republic City Dispatch. It really desperately helps us. Is the word. Sure. Okay, we're not desperate though. <laughs> you're 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 you are suffering from amnesia. We're just we just want people to get on iTunes, rate and review the podcast, get people talking about Cora, and um, put a, put us high on the charts to get more people talking. Well, so. I mean, from a non-selfish reason, too, uh, the time change has caused a rating plummet. So uh, everybody needs to talk more about Cora, and we can help. We're doing iTunes. it. We're doing it. But let's get our memories back on track here and talk about The Sting. This was a really interesting episode. I, I kind of appreciate the boldness of writing Cora basically out of this episode um, and focusing on Mako, who I, I care a lot about, despite a lot of people. I know a lot of people hate on Mako because he seems to make bad choices or he's not playing fair with, with Cora. Maybe people are siding more with him this season because Cora has been, you know, perturbed and angry and confused. Um, but I'm glad to see Mako in detective <laughs> mode. I probably would have liked to see him more in detective mode. Um, I remember uh, the second episode of the original book, uh, the first book, mm -hmm. was very, like, noir and atmosphere, and perhaps I would have liked a little more of that. But still, I like Detective Mako here. I'm, whoa, whoa, whoa. You I definitely would have liked to more see of people that? doing... More, yeah, <laughs> more Detective Mako. Well, I mean, we got a lot of... We got a whole, like, knife-threatening moment, I and a, yeah, a whole bunch of stuff with the triad. I guess it could have been more genre-y, more genre-y. And be surprised when everything goes horribly wrong. Like, let's... <laughs> 
Uh, well, I like that he thought that it was the Agni Kai's before, so he could definitely trust other gangs because it's not the untrustworthy gang this time. It's his old gang. Well, did, so before we get into the whole Korath entrance of this episode, I'm curious, does the rest of this episode really work for you as a standalone? I mean, is it is it as daring as I think it is? Um, or is this kind of tradition in by the time you get to a second season of a television show, can you finally branch off with the side characters, the supporting mm-hmm. players? You, it's no longer Korra's story necessarily. This is this is a Mako episode. I, I think they're mopping up some of the plot, um, which they kind of left hanging for the first couple episodes. Like the clear idea of like who is this Varric guy and what is he actually doing and telling us a little bit more about that i like that this episode is about making connections i just wish those a lot of those connections should have been made several episodes ago Hmm. like it feels like this whole season we've been um or at least the characters have been purposefully uh, left in the dark sometimes and acting very dumb uh from things we've seen with cora and even this time like everything Varric is doing is clearly like setting things up to really, I don't know, make this whole war work in his benefit. But also, like, there's so much else going on, guys. Like, don't sign over your companies to this dude already. Like, let's think a little bit about why things are happening. Asami is very driven. I mean, and I kind of understand that. I I understand her tunnel vision here as a character because what, I mean, what does she have going on? She's kind of been abandoned by Team Avatar, even though everyone's in good spirits by the end of book mm-hmm. one. Um, but really, she all she has is is future industries. All she has sure. is the legacy of this company, the potential for her to be an entrepreneur, an innovator in the wake of all this disaster. So, I mean, we see that kind of cripple her at the end. She wants to give up. But um, I do understand her willingness to kind of be like, I mean, why would Varric be a bad guy? I, I don't think there's necessarily anything that makes him seem bad only I, mako has seen this evidence and I'm everyone tells him to shut our our knowledge of real history i think so that. we're too familiar with movies but also it's it's not just movies it's like guys Life. like i don't know she's in charge of a huge company she should be a little wary of like people who are so willing to throw themselves at you uh, to take over majority shares. And actually think about what does that mean when it's majority shares? Because then it's not your company anymore. You may as well have just let it die. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that these are really young people in charge of things that are slightly beyond their uh, maturity levels. And we're not to say, saying, 18-year-olds yeah. doing a yeah. lot of grown-up yeah. jobs, doing and they are things. not grown-ups. Yeah, Avatar is pretty young, too. Mako's a pretty young detective. Um, but I, I don't know. It's just it's frustrating to see people make some really stupid and silly decisions. And then, yes, let's team up with the triads because they're never going to double cross you. What is going on here, guys? Well, why? I mean, again, I'll, I'll question that argument because why would why are they bad at this point? I mean, these are bad guys who will play whatever side of the line they can to get a good deal. I mean, getting um, bending back. Getting Shady Shin's bending back and getting a few vehicles in the process sounds like a pretty good job. I mean, this is very much a mobster. This is the Martin Scorsese episode, um, which actually, later in the episode, 12 Toe Ping says um, some mook, which I believe is a reference to Martin Scorsese's Mean Streets. For those (laughs) out there who want to check that film out, I highly recommend it. Um, But this is definitely the shady business that has to go on in order to accomplish something where no one is on your team. Yeah, Um, I also like the reference to 70s detective mustaches. Uh, Them and their mustaches. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm trying to figure out which detective duo they are. I thought maybe Miami Vice. Anything. No, they didn't have They didn't have mustaches, though. Maybe maybe it's Starsky and Hutch. 70s. Starsky and Hutch? Is that Just they had like mustaches in the movie? Bad seventies detectives, Fair like enough. the ones with the with the really crazy mustaches, who are probably you. You know what they are? They're, they're it's more the like boogie nights, sabotage Beastie Boys. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's what <laughs> oh yeah. Have you guys? Did you guys were were you guys expecting that it was called the Sting? That it would have a like the movie The Sting, a triple cross. <laughs> Because that's Maybe what I was it, expecting up until the very end. I guess, which, I guess I should have seen that coming. You right? wanted yeah. Lin Bei Fong to be in on it. Who, I mean, talk about people who are standing around not doing much. Uh, and talk about people acting completely dumb. Like, she's a smart <laughs> character. Can't she see that these detectives are idiots? Like, ugh. I just, I want to shout at the, all of these characters. And it's been this way the whole season for me. I see, I want to shout at all the protagonists. Sure. It sure. seems like the antagonists have been doing some really... Like, I mean, dramatically complex stuff in the sense right. that we all can see what they're doing, but that also could be surprised by sudden statements from either Varric or Unalak. But, I mean, everybody seems to have been maneuvered very expertly by both of those people. So it's it's definitely, there is this complexity. And for a while, until Devinder just brought up Lynn, I thought maybe it was, like, trying to juxtapose, you know, right. being a teenager versus being an adult. But you're right in the sense that Lynn has also, you know, had this weird uh, brain cloud. And I don't know what's happening at whatever air temple the other characters are isolated at. Somebody but is clouding the force. They just can't quite see the danger. Exactly. Like it seems like a, a kind of a crap explanation, sort of like that. Well, I mean, if, I would like for them to come out and make it okay somehow through Korra's amnesia and, you know, tip their hand a little bit and say that there has been something off balance since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Just as, like, not an excuse for bad writing, but a show of the direction of where they were trying to go yeah. that would, I- might make me forgive some stuff. Actually, maybe my reference to the clouding of the forest or something may not be that far off because we are seeing like all these, you know, spirits coming back and kind of attacking and maybe they're sort of taking, making the world a little unbalanced for benders. Making a little dumber. (laughs) We're all dumber this season. Well, it's funny that you say that because, I mean, there's probably a connection between Unalak exiting the portal and Korra losing her memory. Hmm. So let's not say that it's a, a silly... Um, direction to take things. Wait, 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 uh, wait. You think so? I don't. I mean, there's got to be some sort of connection. Well, but then wouldn't he instantly know that the Avatar wasn't dead? If he caused that? Yeah, yeah. He would know more. He does act a little shocked. I'll give you I that. I mean, I think that he could definitely <laughs> control some dark spirits and whatnot, but we don't know, like, for all we know, he's also controlling Varric. Mm-hmm. Well, what you don't know like, is that Unalak was the lead in all the Northern Water Tribe plays uh, <laughs> growing up. So with <laughs> Tondlock, uh, they I, always I, beat him for the parts. That, I'm just uh, saying. The, the Unalak scene, by the way, just seemed really out of place. Very, very strange. Like, <laughs> were, were you just in the spirit world? It had to be connected to the scene that was, or one of the scenes that was directly before it. Because right. unlike everything else in this universe, we have virtually no rules for what happens in when the spirit world interacts with the real world. Like right. sometimes we've seen spirits inhabit bodies of other things and sometimes they could manifest fully and 
sometimes they could, uh, in, at least in the comic books, uh, they could affect humans around them without actually directly being in contact with them. So it's all screwy. So until we know what's happening, I'm going to assume that that scene is there specifically because it's related to one of the scenes around it. Mm. Well, then that's why I, I, I don't know if there's anything else in the text here of this episode that that would connect to. Because, the, I mean, obviously they're tying back to the last shot of the previous episode. But then where does um, Unalak's spirit interference play into this episode with no appearance by spirits at all i mean i don't know if they necessarily have to relate to any of the nearby scenes because what last episode too we had the the random stuff at air temple island which didn't seem they were telling a separate story a very contained story that didn't relate to the rest of that episode Hmm. either that's true that is true but this is one scene this is one scene i have a question for you guys Mm -hmm. if they instead structured this like they're structuring the beginning with sort of like a little sidestep to tell part of the story, would you have felt that book two was sort of choppy if they did like the Air Temple story like they did the Mako story this week and sort of just leave Korra for an entire episode to focus on one arc? That would be very Empire Strikes Back of them Mm -hmm. in a television sort of way. I would be intrigued by doing that. I don't know. That's a lot to ask of an audience. Well, they did it in book two with... Appa's Lost Days, which filled in necessary story, but mm. if you skip that episode, that's one you're not episode. Well, I'm just saying they split out the stories before, where you have right, different right. people in different places. They just haven't. This is. Uh, I said before that like they, it was weird that we had the intercutting of the uh, Air Temple scenes with Civil Wars but it was sort of a necessity because you needed to have this family echoing thing. And the only other option would be to give the air temple thing its own episode. And now I'm wondering if maybe they didn't do that because they had this Mako episode coming up. <laughs> and this is like a role playing game masters worst nightmare because all your people are all over the place and you, you need to get them in one spot. So you can yeah. actually tell a story together. And none of them know the, the stuff the other people know <laughs> it's the, which is like, definitely one of my least favorite tropes in television storytelling is the willful withholding of information right 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 Uh, that's what that's what i was going to ask you if are you still at least thrilled when mako makes discoveries when he's on this adventure i mean yes we are steps ahead of him and i know uh and we've previously previously discussed this on 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 previous episodes and even Operation Kino when we talked about prisoners being steps ahead of characters <laughs> and whether or not that um, affects your enjoyment of the of the movie or television show. I mean, I, I just got back from watching Captain Phillips and reviewing it on the Slash Filmcast. And it's like, I know how that story ends. Most of us know how that story ends. But that movie remains gripping and yeah. fantastic and th- really thrilling. Um, you can do it. You could do it if you already know. Like, you can make a story interesting even if you already know where it's going to go. Um, it's really the stuff in between that matters, and I feel like this season we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of like questionable narrative choices, a lot of plot holes, and a lot of characters just acting straight up out of character. Which, well, what? But does yeah. the action do it for you? I mean, are they the at least enlivening fine. things with it's the action? Fine, I like the action. It's just it doesn't feel as cohesive as the first season did for me. There's been cumulatively less bending this season than there was the I, I thought that exact same thing when Mako pulled out his fire bending on the boat and later pulled out his fire dagger it does seem like there's a lot less but, bending he did yeah, fire bend the hot tub see if I, if I was Mako I would just uh, like walk in see that Asami had the contract 
light the contract. Burn the contract. Yeah. Is this a written agreement? Poof. Come on. That's jumping to conclusions. He's taking his time. It's funny that you mentioned Captain (laughs) Phillips because that's exactly what I thought of the first scene. Why? In this episode. Because Somali pirate benders come (laughs) on to Varric's ship and and steal the cargo. It's exactly... Remote detonation. Captain Phillips, yeah. I kind of love how when that whole scene was going down, I was just confused. I was like, why are the pirates like double... Or no, why are the, you know, mobsters double-crossing them? Like, so many things in the season, I feel like, why is this happening? Hmm. Why, you know, what is going on here? Um, I feel like book one had those moments, except we, I mean, it was so highly energized and perhaps, I mean, and so atmospheric too. Like I was, uh, again, I go back to what I said at the beginning of this episode where I think of that second episode of book one that was so heavy with mood, this noir shading and just like, yeah. They were in love with the world at that point. Yeah. Yeah, and, And this, and this season's a little less of that. And perhaps that's why we start scrutinizing over, over the details or the plot holes, quote unquote. Mm. Um, yeah, I, oh. I, I agree that they aren't showing us too much new, but I'm hoping that, you know, we've hit the time in the story to expand the world. And that's what this flashback's going to be across. Because if you look at like the episode titles that we know, it looks like we're going to get pretty close into the final confrontation after we do this flashback. Whoa. And we still haven't addressed Janora. What, we should just do a countdown for what Janora's moment with the statue. We should do a countdown of random about. scenes in the season, which probably won't go anywhere. Let's see how that many of those scene has to go somewhere. All these I scenes hope. are going somewhere. You just have I to hope. keep track of them. Um, this is the fire. Come on. It's like an advent calendar. Open one every episode, and then by the end, you'll eat more chocolate or something. Um, here's, here's something I noticed uh, this week when I was digging around for the ratings for last week. Is This week's episode is actually production numbered like something like 118, mm-hmm. but it's definitely numbered in line with the first book. So I don't know that these scenes that go nowhere could could be picked up like three years from now in some sort of weird thing. I don't think that's the case what? with Jainor and the statue. <laughs> I don't think that's the case with Jainor and the statue. Crazy theory. Do not do not set the internet off with that kind of thinking. I'm just saying that like, and then we always thought that the first book was sort of this mini series that got suddenly grown. But actually, in an mm-hmm. interview you did patches with Break, they talked Ho-ho. about. Starting, they talked about by the time Korra started airing, they knew mm. they were doing full season episodes. Um, so it just seems like there could be more overarching storytelling, which again goes back to a sort of minor hope I have that when we get to the amnesia, this could be a tabula rasa for Korra's character. But we'll, we'll th- get there. I feel like, yeah, let's let's cap this conversation with that bit. Yeah. But um, before we get there, let's at least laud the uh, adventures of Nuktok here. Yes. I mean, that's good stuff. If only because it's simultaneously referencing old propaganda, U.S. Uh, propaganda films. It's, uh, it's a lot like Captain America. That we yes. saw uh, two years ago. Unalaka basically is the Mandarin, which I thought was great. Well, no, he's not the Mandarin. You know what that is? That is, I, I would bet money on this, that that is a Ming the Merciless reference mm. to Flash uh, Gordon oh, yeah. serials from the You're 1930s. Right. Yeah. It looks so, exactly so, the same. So Going even further back, Pat. So you, you got me. <laughs> 
I, I, I like the talking animals. That was nice. Who's gonna yeah. fight for freedom? Is friends? that actually is that actually Pabu Naga? Doesn't look quite like Pabu to me. No, that's like Juji and Rotan. Been, well, yeah, but it looks like it could be them, like with makeup on. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I would. I don't know where Naga is. That's the episode. Time. Yeah. <laughs> Who is playing these animals? Um, well, well, what do you think of Bolin's role? I mean, what does this mean in the context of the show? What is this about his character? Because I feel like they're they're making a comment here, and uh, I, I'm uh, curious what you think of I think it it's, is. I, I think it's a bigger thing where Bolin getting pulled in by Varric is part of Varric's plan because he realizes that Mako and Bolin are a capable team. Maybe right. he's a Fire Ferrets fan and knows that if you keep them separated or if you keep them contentious then uh, they're less likely to figure things out or it makes them easier to control as we see with Bolin sort of uh, I don't know he cares about trivial things again which we haven't seen him do mm-hmm. but he does have an important line I mean he does say um, I'm a hero and I think that's an interesting perspective about like sure. what I mean, real he's hero- always heroism been, like, is I mean we marked I marked him for death in season one because he is he is the guy. He's a character who's expendable enough to die at some point in one of these shows, while the real hero, his brother or sibling or whatever, uh, you know, kind of saves the day. So he is always sidelined and I I think we're kind of getting some glimpse into that life. And he can't pick up a chick. He still can't find love. It's very sad. And he's making very romantic gestures. He's just a kid, folks. He, he's not out of line here. Oh, he's just man. a nice kid. I hate you, Tumblr. Uh, <laughs> whoa! Um, well, we should actually talk about the real um, heated moment of this episode, which has to be the, the Mako. No, the, yeah, well, that's literally heated. Um, the Mako Asami kiss. Uh, I think someone was talking about... They were worried, perhaps, about another love triangle. I don't. I don't see this as becoming a love triangle. No, but he, I mean, it's clear that he's not interested. I just. I feel so bad for Asami. Just like yeah. ever since the first season, I feel terrible for her, and especially this season because Cora has just been kind of insane. So, yeah, poor you, Asami. You think she should get her due? With no parents and trying to save a business. <laughs> she just yeah. wants a kiss. I really, I really a- hope. That it was a use of showing how deep in despair Asami was and not some sort of slow movement to have Mako make some sort of decision between a really angry and not relationship copacetic Korra and a very vulnerable but sort of emotionally void relationship with Asami. That would make me Mm. mad. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I I think she is just straight up shit. Just given the way everything ended in the first season, I don't think she's ever really moved past it in a way. Like, we've never How seen something with anybody else. Yeah. I mean, so, Cora is very much about teenage relationships, and mm-hmm. um, I, I, I'm I, not going to brag and say that I've been where Mako's been, okay? But. Don't date within your friend circles. Kids. I know. It gets yeah. so messy. It just gets so <laughs> messy. Oh, I'm having horrible flashbacks to middle school and high school. Um, It would seem to me that, if anything, Asami, this episode took a step forward in my mind and earned the coveted position of person that gets to take down Varric in an emotionally (laughs) satisfying way. Just like, you took my family's legacy from me, and then it's non-vendor versus non-vendor, and he's all, I don't know. And another Electro Glove uh, 
moment yes. or no that's More too that's too world. connected to her father's you killed my father's out. company now prepared to fry yeah oh Ooh. boy wow i like that reference um let's let's just wrap this up with talking about the final scene of this episode we see cora wash up on the beach fire Ugh. sages around her and she doesn't know who she is she doesn't know that she's avatar cora and dave i don't know if this this sat well with you <laughs> no while we're talking well about anybody yeah, yeah tv tropes i dislike because they are usually unnecessary well, what it, can you it, can you name i mean i immediately saw this and was like this is we've seen this before this is a tv trope but talk to me about what tv shows you've seen it in what uh ha you know what, where you see wait, it in no you no. see it in soap operas which is the worst you yeah. see it in soap operas, you see it in sitcoms, you see it mm. in shows like 24 that need yeah. to draw something out. 24 did it for the soap opera angle of that whole thing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just, it's its usually a stalling technique, or unless, the only way out of this is to never bring real Korra back again, <laughs> which I would be totally fine with, but like, <laughs> the actual birth of Avatar Korra. What does that even mean, that she has been like... It- Rebirthed. Well, that, what, would, that would also destroy all the character development we've had over the past year. And that a seems half. like it would really throw away book one. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm not going to say a new Korra, but Korra Plus. Like, then, as soon as Korra realizes who she is, she realizes she's the Avatar and she has the connections to the past Avatars and it makes her a more whole person. And what we see is that what we've seen of Korra previously is a person who couldn't really accept who she was because she had shut off this one whole side of herself. That's what I want. What I don't want is like, oh, I'm Korra. Oh, my God, my father. I'm going to go punch some people. Like, I don't I don't want that. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, don't, I definitely don't want Korra's entire identity to be around, like, you know, the Avatar thing. And I think that's... That's something that she was struggling with in the first season, right? She was struggling to be normal. She wanted to do fun things outside of her training with Tenzin. So I definitely don't want her new personality or whatever her personality ends up being to just be, you know, to be completed by being part Avatar stuff. I, I She needs to find it on her own, and I hope it's completely non-magical and non-spiritual. It's just her coming to, like, some real-life uh, realizations about herself, you know? But how cool and how sad would it be if, like, a fully powerful Avatar Korra, like, saw her parents and didn't recognize them? <laughs> like, that's the sacrifice you need to make. That's the all the chakras Aang needed to open. That's, you need to be completely... You, you want to go straight to Nirvana, leave all your worldly possessions and relationships behind? I, I mean, I think that she needs to maybe swing very violently in the opposite direction since she's been so headstrong at Earthbound previously. And I think that some good drama could come out of that choice that heroes have to make. Real mm-hmm. heroes, not Bolin heroes. Oh, sad. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember what the Fire Sages did in um, Avatar The Last Airbender. I feel like they Dave are remembers. keepers of like the uh fire religion which is different from the beginning religion which was the tribal sun people that worship the dragons but like they're sort of like uh uh priests or cardinals if we were living in a christian thing but yeah they uh, are usually more they uh designate who the avatar was before the uh white lotus became worldwide right because they found Roku and then despaired 
when they could not find the next uh, Avatar because Roku had dis- disappeared, as we saw in the opening of Avatar The Last Airbender. But then we saw them sort of reinstated because they're the ones that crown Zuko the new Fire Lord and ceremonially crown Fire Lords otherwise. I'm, I'm curious what their presence means for, for Korra's that, discovery. I think that just means she's in the Fire Nation. <laughs> It's just giving us a heads up on location. Well, she yeah. made it then. We we I was afraid that she wasn't going to get to Zuko anytime soon. So maybe that is on the horizon. Although, what are the next episodes? The next episodes are the big flashbacks, flashbacks which are also done by the old animation studio guys. <laughs> um, but they're in a t- totally different style, which I'm very so excited, excited for. for. Uh, by the way, how did she get to that beach? She got swept up. She got because she. I mean, she, so she was heading to see the Fire Lord, but that whole hmm. battle didn't that happen in like the, the, uh, of the icy ocean. pole areas? Well, everyone uh. knows that um, during the winters, the spirits migrate uh, to the Fire Nation and shut yeah. up, Devendra. Uh, well, look at <laughs> if you look at a map of the world mm-hmm. and where Republic City is and where the Fire Nation is, she wouldn't go through any icy icy stuff. Okay, I, th- I just like thought quake. I saw because they were on the. It, it seemed like they were in icy waters, but it could have just been dark. And I well, they did linger. They did linger on the tide for what seemed like a long time at the end mm-hmm. of the episode. So maybe like I missed some shape in there or the purpose <laughs> of why the tide is or like. I'm, uh, yeah, my question like, still stands. Like I, I'd be really interested to know how she ended up there. Basically, oh my yeah. god, nitpicker. Right that's there. that's not even a nitpick. That is a fundamental question because that Watch the last her. episode ended with her disappearing, and I think where she went is not a you know. Just do you think that will be? Exp- I mean, with so much connection to the spirit world, we might see that. We might learn. How. Yeah, I hope so. I feel like we all need a dippy dip. I think we Dippity will. Dip. We also need an explanation of what spirit calming is and why sometimes it doesn't work. Like what was Korra's downfall? So I think a lot will hinge on what happened to Korra at the end of the last episode. Well, a lot of questions, and I'm sure we'll get a lot of answers when we flash back to the spirit world and uh, Korra connects with Wan, or Wan just shows up and does his thing for yeah, some reason. We'll get world building <laughs> rules, which I know you love patches, and I definitely love. Well, they open up. Pandora's box to unnecessary scrutiny, um, but they they also provoke and intrigue and add to this beautiful world. So I am excited. Um, but yes, the end of this episode had my uh, question mark appeared over my head, uh, as did many of yours. But um, why don't we wrap up and talk about favorite moments from this episode? Devendra, do you have something that stands out? I, I mean, I like Investigator Mako. I just wish he was smarter. And I like <laughs> Mako and Asami teaming up because uh, they did. They make a good team. And I want to see more Asami. I want to see her doing smart things again. Are you yeah, entertained by Varric's one-liners? Are you enjoying yeah, Varric? Who's hungry? <laughs> he named his favorite ship after his mother, Rocky Bottom. <laughs> Um, Dave, do you have a favorite moment? Um, My favorite moment is actually a favorite frame, which is the first frame we get of uh, Varric sitting in his chair when he knows that Mako is onto him. And just that, the way they've been to transform a character that was sort of designed for physical comedy into one frame of, like, this guy is obviously the biggest bad, was... (laughs) uh, a high point in otherwise shaky animated episode. You still think he's the biggest bad? I mean, okay, no, no, but a big 
bad. I, I just that that sort of especially this week with the the comments from the animation director of Frozen saying it's hard to draw two different women characters going through a range of emotions because you have to make them look pretty and everybody got all mad. I just want to give some props for being able to use a character design that was definitely designed for comedy and making it so sinister. His smile was so big. Yes. It was amazing. Like Grinch big. Oh, yeah. That's actually a really good reference point. It yeah, does look yeah. like that. Um, and for me, I two things. One, I love the Nuck Talk song, um, which <laughs> kind of reminded me of an Animaniacs song so props to the track team folks for i'm also i've been i've been yelling at them every time we interview them um about writing more songs because book one did not really have any songs um so i was very happy to to have the knuck talk anthem uh and i also and maybe i'm crazy but during the final boat chase um also there's been a lot of boat chases this book for oh, some yeah. for some yeah. reason, yeah. Um, I guess that's fun. Uh, but this particular one reminded me of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and I didn't know if anyone else saw that or that was conjured up because by they it. went between the two boats. Yeah, that, that has to be right. That, that has, has to be, be a reference. Okay. I mean, other than the boat getting caught in the propeller, that would have been obviously Indiana Jones. It's a but... little too much. Uh, and dippity dip, which I'll probably just keep saying until the end of the podcast. So dippity dip. Um, why don't we say goodbye? That's about it for uh, the sting, which was was a fine one-off episode. We're looking for answers, and I think when we uh, get this two-parter next week, which Dave, I believe this is a back-to-back uh, night of Cora next Friday. Is that what the case? I've heard, and I will definitely update it at republiccitydispatch.com if I hear more, because you know Nick and their time schedules with Cora these days, uh, but it's going to be an hour-long block between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. at your respective times. Oh, boy. Um, so, yeah, look for it then. We'll be recording about it. Remember, go to iTunes, subscribe if you don't, if you just listen through SoundCloud or Nickelodeon or wherever, and, and rate and review the podcast. Uh, and that's about it for this week. So, Devendra, why don't we say goodbye? Where can we find you on the Internet? Sure. Uh, Twitter.com slash Devendra, VentureBeat.com, and I podcast about movies and TV at SlashFilm.com. Dave? Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell that first name DA7E, which is also my Twitter handle. I write about superhero movie news at latino-review.com and do a podcast with Mr. Matt Patches called Operation Kino. This most recent one, we had the lead of this movie called Escape from Tomorrow, which was filmed in Disneyland illegally. You should really check it out. Are we allowed to say the word Disney on this podcast? I don't know. I'm just joking. Yes. <laughs> this is a Viacom podcast. We can say Disney all we want. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. We, we are owned by no one. Um, and I am Matt Patches. I am on the internet writing about all sorts of nonsense. Um, I do recaps of Cora at Vulture.com, which you should really read and share. And uh, I put the rest of it all on MattPatches.com, which is my Tumblr. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And I'm on Operation Kino with Dave. So until next next time when we're going to be um, designed by a totally different animation studio next week. Um, We will see you then. Farewell. Farewell.